Father, um, it's amazing. I think, you know, as much as God wants to bless uh, the people of DR as we go, God always blesses our team in many ways. And so it's always encouraging as we hear back uh, these reports um, from, from our people who come back. And so praise God for that. Um, it's my privilege, uh, honor to uh, introduce our uh, speaker for today. I'm not going to say guest speaker because he's a, he's a member, he's family here at Harvest. And um, it's kind of weird because I, I feel like in a lot of ways I... Maybe I prefer introducing someone that we already know because it takes kind of all the pressure off. But, you know, we, we know that Chris Lee um, is a periodontist. We know that he's married to Haley uh, Lee. We know that they have a beautiful daughter in, in Isabel. And, and we know that he's a shepherd of, you know, Hiroshima and things like that. But um, I think, you know, it's kind of weird because when I was thinking about what I wanted to share with him as I introduced him, you know, I thought, um, it's a lot about who he was and who I've known him to be over the years. And, you know, I remember my, one of my first impressions of Chris was um, just a gathering. And it was kind of like out of the blue where somebody, like, I just asked him to pray. And, and I remember, like, hearing him pray, and uh, he just felt kind of, like, a little bit shaky, a little bit uncertain, a little bit uneasy about praying. And maybe, maybe it was just one of those times where you, you got, kind of get caught off guard or something like that. But, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really sure about him. And um, just to see him who he is now. And, and actually, if you read today's insert, DL says it so much better than I can, okay? He writes it out. You can read. But I think God's done an, an amazing work in our brother. Um, you know, he, he, uh, he says it here. He says, you know, he was someone who's a churchgoer but didn't have a vibrant faith. And I think were we to describe Chris today, we, we could never say that he didn't have a vibrant faith. Right? He's one who just faithfully, with the gifts that he has, he serves the Lord, whether it's teaching a Sunday school class or whether it's uh, using his profession um, to bless people of Ecuador with uh, healthy teeth, to not have pain in their teeth, right, so that they can live their days. Uh, and so just on so many different levels, I think it's amazing uh, to see what God has done in our brother's life. And so it's our privilege, I think, to hear him today as he shares God's word. God's words. Let's uh, encourage him and let's, let's uh, welcome him as he comes up to share God's word. Thanks, huge. Um, yeah. Uh, this feels really awkward. This is just as much as you, to you as it is to me. So, um, so I, I'm not DL. Um, you know, if you're new here and you heard great things about you know DL sermon, um, I apologize. And so, you know, come next week, please. Uh, just you know, you hear a great sermon with him um, today. Um, you know, part of this is that it's my testimony of Ecuador, and also um, you know, hopefully some of these things that um, that I say to you today uh, can and will um, you know. Uh, get into your hearts and uh, affect uh, part of your lives. Um, so today, um, I just want to open up with the Word of God uh, from Acts chapter 9. And we're going to read uh, verse 10 through 19. So Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 19. This is the Word of the Lord. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight, Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. 
for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, said Ananias, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is the word of the Lord. Um, so, in relationship, in relation to this, um, you know, I feel like there's many challenging things that uh, come up in our lives, and um, you know, the, and the first things that we think about when challenging things come up is uh, a lot of fear and doubt. Right? We have we question first, so uh, you know, we have to weigh out reasons, you know, of this, the positives and the negatives, the upsides and the downsides of what we're challenging, what we're faced against. Um, things like, you know, when I open my own office for try to go in business for myself, right? So all the downsides, right? All the downsides are things that, things that could go wrong, you know, things that falter and ultimately, you know, things that are going to lead to failure. So there's many times, you know, where we question and doubt and having questions and doubts it's not necessarily a wrong thing but in the end if we don't even try or if we never rise to the challenge then we failed before we even started um so even in the bible right so uh, josh um he kind of outlined this whole thing for me but uh moses so someone like moses that we see Right, supposedly three million of God's people, three million of God's people out of slavery from Egypt into the Promised Land. Right, he was deathly afraid of public speaking, kind of like I am right now. Right, he resisted, doubted, and hesitated. Jonah, who even Jesus mentions as a great prophet, right, he ran away from God. Right, even tried to commit suicide by trying to drown himself just because he didn't want to go. Here we see Ananias. um, And this fear sounds really legitimate, right? Uh, uh, Someone killing Christians, right? Why should I go? Why why do you want to send me, Lord? And do you know who that is? Do you know who, who I'm dealing with? Are you sure? And these are the questions that Ananias had, and legitimately so. But... A lot of times we also have these very same questions. But what if God, what if God spokes, speaks through these fears, speaks through them? And what if God speaks through our fears? In the time of greatest doubt, 
we can see God's calling for our lives to do his greatest work in us. And we become the first witnesses, the first witnesses to see these great things. Right? I believe this is true for many challenges in our lives. We can think of tons of challenges that come up in our lives. But this is especially what I feel like a big biblical challenge when it comes to missions as a Christian. Right? Now, so I've only been to uh, three mission trips in the past four years. So I'm, not, I'm far from experienced okay, in this field. But I know I've been asked for the past 12 years of my life. And every year, every year, the first things and the first thoughts on my mind are all the reasons why I can't go. I can't go on this trip. I can't go this year. And it, it's not really God asking me. It's not really God. It's just, it's just the pastors, Pastor D.O., right? Or it's just another church member. Hey, have you thought about it? So there's, you know, there's all these reasons that we first think about. And I just want to touch upon, you know, three things that I think most of these uh, questions and, and our doubts kind of stem from. And, you know, these are things that were on my mind. And maybe, you know, some of you or a lot of you, when someone asks you about missions, is something that comes up on your mind. Okay, so the first thing, first thing we want to look at is um, that a lot of thing, a lot of times we think, a lot, many of us think that in missions we don't feel called because we don't feel qualified. So we don't feel called because we don't feel qualified. And you know, I think um, if we're being really honest with ourselves, um, you know, many things that we do for the first time in our lives. Uh, we feel really, you know, uh, not sure of or unready for or unqualified. So um, I'll tell you my first uh, time in dental school, right? Way back in dental school, uh, you know, the first time I had to pull someone's tooth, right? So it's the first time I had to, I, I'm in there, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, okay, I'm getting ready to pull this guy's tooth. And obviously, obviously, you know, you have to numb this guy up. So we took an anesthesia class just a few weeks before that, right? Teaching, like, numbing ourselves up, being silly, you know, and finding where, where all the, you know, spots in to numb, numb the mouth. And so, but, you know, in that day, when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm going in there, I have the patient in front of me, I completely blank out. I forget everything that I learned just a few weeks ago, right? And my friend that's sitting there, he's helping me, he's assisting me that day, and so uh, uh, he's looking at me like, well, well, come on, go ahead and get started. And so uh, I look at him and, uh, you know, I speak to him in Korean, right? Because he's Korean. And I, I, say, I say, hey, here, here, do I, do I inject him here? All right? And he's looking at me like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> what, did, you, did you not take the class weeks before? Did you not hear? All right? And so I, I think this is... This is kind of like what we think about, right? We hear things uh, all the time, right? We hear Sunday sermons all the time. We read the books. We say, I got it. I got it, right? But when it comes time to actually doing it, we don't ever feel quite ready, right? And so if someone asks you, right, someone asks you as a Christian, right, about going on missions, what's the first thing usually on their mind? Right? So for me, first thing on my mind was, am I qualified? Right? Am I Christian enough? Right? Which, which is a weird question. But don't you have to be 
you know, I think to myself, don't you have to be like a super believer, you know, crazy about Jesus, right? Don't we have to be one of those, right? That we have to, you know, go to church every Sunday, right? Read our Bibles every day. One of those people, send one of those people. Those people are qualified to go, right? So what does qualify us for mission work, right? A master's degree from seminary, lots of money, maybe maybe even retired, you know, so we have all the time to go, right? Do we have to have a unique skill, right? Do you have to be a medical professional or a dentist or something, right, to go? So your, your contribution to the team. All these things, all these things are good in their own way. But I would dare to say that God needs none of these things from us. Doesn't need anything, any of these things from us. So, do you remember a commercial um, long ago? There was a, it's really pretty funny commercial, but so there was a control room in the nuclear power plant, right? And then all these lights and sirens start going off, right? Something's something's happening, something dangerous happening. Everyone looks around at each other. They're all panicking. They're running around. They're not sure what to do. And this, you know, one guy comes out of the corner, looks really determined, you know, looks smart, has glasses, you know, pocket protectors, all these pens, you know, and, and, and badge. And, you know, he's looking at the monitors and, you know, he's looking at he's looking at them. He starts shouting orders, right? He's like, close the containment ch- channels, you know, activate the recombiners. And, and then these people are looking at him. He's like, do it, do it. And then starts, you know, they start pushing levers and pushing buttons and everything. And then everything starts, you know, dying down, slowing down. And then the sirens go off. You know, he saved the day. And they're, they're all happy. They're like, yeah. You know, they start hugging each other, high-fiving each other. And this one guy starts hugging that man. And he's like, oh, man. It's like, hey, are you new to the team? He's like, no, uh, I'm with a tour group. <laughs> but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. So the whole point of the commercial, the whole point of the commercial was that if you stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night, right? If you stay, you're so smart, right? It automatically qualifies you to be this nuclear technician, right? That could save the day, that knows what he's doing. It's the same thing. You know, there were a bunch of commercials like this. You know, all of a sudden you're a helicopter pilot, you're a rodeo clown, you know, you're even a street rapper, right? This, this street rapper. It's ridiculous stuff, ridiculous stuff. But... A lot of times, I think sometimes maybe we have the wrong idea in the same way, right? Of what God, what we think qualifies us for missions, right? And in 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 contrast to that, what God considers as qualify qualifications for missions. So, what do we think, right? Does God only call the skilled and the qualified, right? God wouldn't call me on missions. Because to go halfway around the world to tell someone about Jesus, well, you know what? You, you, you want to be educated, sophisticated, you know, maybe strong and fit, you know, for all the you know, people who work out, you know, don't skip leg day, right? Because you've got to be physically fit to, to, go, to go, you know, on missions. You know, we need to have also survival instincts, right? And, you know, this is what we thought our bus driver, Carlos, this guy was MacGyver. Right, he. I saw him literally fix a doll, like this little kid's doll, with he rolled up piece of paper. That's all he had. He roll up piece of paper, and he fixed the guy's the kid, little kid's doll. He was amazing, right? So we, maybe we think of that as something like, wow, we could really use that guy on our team, right? Because he's really uh, resourceful. 
So what does qualify us? All right, what would you say qualifies you? So I have one thought, just, just one thought. To me, the only thing that really qualifies us for missions is to have a little faith. Faith to obey his words and do what is asked of us. Ananias that you see here, right? All he says, we don't know anything about Ananias, but he says, says Ananias, a disciple of Christ. Even though he was afraid, even though he didn't feel qualified to confront a man that was out there killing Christians, but he's, the Lord said go. And so Ananias went. Sounds simple, right? You know, the command to go, and then we're all, off we go. Right? Just like in the Great Commission at the end of Matthews, right? But that's, that sounds really simple. It's not always like that. But what does faith really look like? What is faith in action? So there's a story about a uh, long time ago, maybe you know, 50 years ago. Uh, there's this small town in the Midwest. And you know, the entire town, the entire area... There was no rain for months and months and months. There's huge drought. And since most most of everyone's livelihood, you know, their their occupation is farming, you know, this drought was threatening to wipe out their entire income for the year. They had, you know, everything for the year, everything that they worked hard for. And even, you know, beyond that, maybe even for the rest of their lives, right? Because they can't they don't have any money, they can't buy more seats. So, you know, on Sunday, the local church pastor you know, he was rallying everybody. He said, "You know what? Uh, what we're gonna do? We're gonna we're gonna have a prayer rally. We're gonna we're gonna meet on the fields, and we're gonna pray, and then we're gonna pray, and we're gonna pray, and you know, and then until God pours down the rain." And then everybody got all excited. You know, they were saying "Amen" and "Hallelujah," and they were, you know, just clapping and singing, and all excited, right? Because there was going to be this great prayer rally. God was going to save the day. So they set a date and time, and they, they all gathered there. And as everybody was coming in, you know, he saw the pastor was really, really happy because he saw pretty much the entire town just coming together, right, for this one event, just praying. And so he was really pleased with everything. And then he was look, as he was looking around, he was looking around, he saw this little girl in the corner, and she was smiling at him. And so, you know, he smiled back, and he was looking at her, he was thinking, hmm, she's holding an umbrella. And then he was curious, so he looked all around, panned all around everybody that was com- coming. And he realized that this little girl was the only one to bring an umbrella. This is faith. Faith to obey. Faith to expect God to come through. Faith to take Christ at his word. Can we have faith of a mustard seed? Faith to move mountains, to cast out demons and heal heal lives. Do we dare believe that the gospel is so good and so powerful that it can and it does change lives forever? Abraham, Abraham was declared righteous because he had faith. Moses, righteous because of faith. If you look in Hebrews chapter 11, right, it's aptly titled the Hall of Faith. Right? There's a list of names. 
and all these stories that are associated with mostly in the Old Testament. And if you look at them, and if you read each of their names, and actually look at each of their stories, you'll notice something. You'll notice that they were probably the least qualified to do whatever God was calling them to do. I mean, it was nothing like anybody that we would pick, right, as someone to, to, to do those jobs at hands. Now, why would you call somebody that was deathly afraid of public speaking to lead three million people? Why would you do that? But God called them for his purpose. And they simply obeyed because they had faith. Right? Talents and, and skills are really, really great to have. But, and God, you know, God can use those talents and skills for his purpose. But in the end, faith, faith is to go, to baptize, to teach. And faith is knowing that through it all, through it all, he will always be with us to the very end of the age. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So having faith in Christ, having faith, I would say, would qualify us to go on mission. So um, another thing that I feel that uh, maybe, uh, you know, that's on our minds about going on missions is that sometimes we, we say this, we say we don't feel called because we don't feel God hasn't called us yet, right? It's not us. We don't feel called because we don't feel has God has called us yet. So I feel like most of us, many of us, are reluctant to say, really, God called us to do anything in our life, you know, um, we don't have this great burning bush talking to us, right? This is God. Or an old prophet that shows up out of the blue and pour oils on oil on their head and just says, hey, here's a slingshot and a stone. Go, go, go beat up this giant, All right? When's the last time you saw someone being swallowed by a giant fish because he ran away from God? When did you see that? I haven't, All right? We say, we say things like, man, you know, we think it maybe... We need the seas to part so we could walk to the mission field, right? We need God to be very specific. You need, very, you need to be very specific to me, God, right, to the place and the time and where you called me to, right? He needs to buy me the plane ticket and just magically clear my schedule for those weeks, right? For that time, you just magically clear my schedule. You know, we expect God to drop everything that he's doing and say, open up the heavens and look down and go, hey, Chris, hey, Chris, hey, can you go on missions for me? Can you go? You know, I don't know what these people in Ecuador are going to do without you. I don't know if they're going to know my love. I don't know if they're going to know me. Right. You're their only hope. That's really silly. That's that's ridiculous. Right. I mean. We feel like sometimes God calls us to do something. We're the main heroes of the story. But that's not really the case. I mean, we even build up these stories, right? Like Abraham, Moses, and Jonah. We read these stories, and we build those characters up like to be the main heroes. But please read these stories again. Please go through your Old Testament and read these stories again. You know, and not just the sections that you know, we know all know from Sunday school, but the entire story. And you'll realize 
few things. You'll realize that even when God shows all these miraculous signs to know that God, it's God who calls them, it's the Lord who calls them, right? They still hesitate. Ananias here that we see um, was called in a vision, called in a vision. And Jesus told him where to go, where to exactly go, who to meet, or even told his name, and even what, what to do when he gets there. When he gets there, he's supposed to do, put his hands on him, you know, say these things. But there's a big hesitation, big hesitation. And maybe rightly so. Maybe we could say, yeah, you know, I would hesitate, right? But most of our lives, for most of us, our callings, these, they aren't that challenging, right? And then ultimately, in the end, we see in the story, Ananias, as a disciple of Christ, trusted his words and went to the place he was called. He chose that opportunity to honor Christ because he was a disciple of Christ. And I think, you know, most of us have uh, a lot of times the wrong ideas of what opportunity is and the opportunities that God gives us, right? We say things like, man, you know, if only I had more money and that, that were that new job, when I switch jobs, you know, then I could, I could do this. I could do that for God. You know, we say, you know, things like, man, you know, if, if I was Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie, you know, I mean, I'm better looking, but, you know, if, if we're these celebrities and we had all this money, right, I, you know, I'd adopt 20 kids, right? I'd, I'd adopt 20, 30 kids, and, and i give them all the opportunities in their life. You know, I, I said, you know, if I had that much money, I'll, I'll give all this stuff to charity. I'll, I'll do all these things. But, you know, the reality is, can it tell you some some things you know we live in a country you know and all of us in, live in the u.s right so we live in this country that holds almost half of the world's entire wealth half almost half the world's entire wealth is in one country this country okay if you earn more than two dollars a day two dollars a day you're better off than 60 percent of the world 60% of the world, if you earn more than $2 a day. If your household income, your household income is more than $47,500 a year. I looked this up. So $47,500 a year, you're better off. You're 1%. You're the top 1% of income earners in the world. In the world. In the U.S., we think of this, oh, this is just middle class. This is median income. To the rest of the world, you're in 1% of the elite, highest income earners in the world. You know, a lot of times I think we have to look at a God-scale perspective to actually see why God has placed us here. For what reason? Why are we born or why are we immigrated into this country, right? Because, you know, a lot of us are immigrants or come from immigrant families, right, into the one of the wealthiest countries in the world. So what can we do with that? So we also might think, you know, God doesn't provide a lot of time, right? I, I have a job, my family, my weekends, you know. You know, can I tell you about, you know, some of the things, the, the money and the time that we spend on getaways and vacations, Right? We live in Orlando, right? The Disney Mecca of the world, right? 
families spend, families, you know, they save up for years, literally years, right? To spend one week on flights, hotel, food, you know, and all those little silly hats, you know, really expensive, useless hats. Because I've never seen any of them get worn when they go back home. You know, you never see anybody wear those things when they go home, right? But, but they spend money on those, right? I mean, thousands of dollars, right? Spend in just one, two weeks on a family vacation, right? For the happiest place on earth. You know, if God gives me an opportunity to go to vacation on Italy, you know, you bet I'm going to buy my plane tickets beforehand, right? You bet I'm going to uh, look around and research all the places to eat and visit, right? I'm going to ask everybody, like, hey, when I get there, what, what should I eat? Where, where should I go? What should I do? Right? And you get all excited for it, right? And, you know, just like James was talking about, how many of us go the six, seven, eight hours? I mean, you know, I guess if you're really fast drivers or, you know, if you have screaming kids and things like that, you know, it might take you that much longer. But we endure all of that, right? We endure all that traffic and the drive. Just what? Just, just to go eat a meal. Just to go eat one Korean meal like, or, you know, all you can eat barbecue. That's favorite thing, right? It's, it's awesome, right? And we say, wow, you know, all that, right? Or all, the, all that to go, go sit in the hot steaming room in the sauna, right? And say, wow, this is awesome, right? That's worth it. But missions, I don't know. God hasn't, God hasn't really called me to that yet. You know, I, I really can't afford to take the time off. How much money or time would you invest into eternity? Eternity for yourself or eternity for someone else, a human being, another soul? How much do we spend or invest for the true happiest place in eternity? I'll tell you what Jesus says about it. Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. It's so important that there's two other parables just like it. How much do we spend on what we think is important for our future? Like retirement, a 401k, our careers, education, and how much do we spend on our real future? If you believe that this is your real future in eternity. I'm going to call you out, Sarah Kim. I love Sarah Kim's response to this. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote this because I, I feel like this is really important. During our missions debrief, Sarah Kim said, I went on missions every year so far because God didn't say no. I went on missions every year so far because God didn't say no. I don't think many of us caught that, but I thought that was an amazing response. I thought that was awesome, a response to the gospel, right? I mean, imagine if we could all have a posture of saying this, right? Going is the work of the gospel. It's the default mode of a Christian, it's the calling of all Christians. So it's not literally going to take, take an act of God to get me to go to missions, but it's going to take an act of God to stop me from going to missions. 
I think the invitation is pretty clear. You know, we talk about the Great Commission, we talk, we read the book of Acts, but really, you know, unless we obey the simple command to just go, just go, just like Ananias, you know, we're not going to do it. We won't do it. I remember um, D.L. in one of his sermons, you know, he was saying that if all self-professing Christians in this country if all self-professing Christians in this country actually tithe 10% of their income, okay, actual tithing, 10%, that with all that money, all that money, we could end poverty in this country. Just end it. I could dare say, I think, that if all the self-professing Christians in this country, all the self-professing Christians in this country saw missions as a regular part of their lives, that there wouldn't be anywhere on this earth, anywhere on this earth, that didn't know the name of Jesus. I know there's lots of times, you know, when I sat in these seats and, you know, we listened to sermon uh, by D.L. And, and he says he says things like this, you know, he said, there's a, there are those who go and those who send. And, you know, automatically I think to myself, I'm a sender. I love to send. Yeah, I'll send you, right? I love to send. But can we think to on, on um, just a few weeks back, you know, D.L. Uh, made a sermon about battleground and playground in our lives. A- Exodus 17. Ha- have you guys read Exodus 17, the whole thing? Um, you know, there's a war, right, with Israel and the Amalekites, right? And then whenever God, whenever Moses raised his hand, the Israelites were winning. When he put it down, the Amalekites were winning. And so that was just the illustration of senders and goers, right? right? The people that win, people that send. So if you read that, there was really only a few people that stayed with Moses. Everybody else went, really only two people stayed with Moses. Everybody else fought. So my dream, uh, you know, my prayer is that we have more people going than actually sending. You know, we could even have a waiting list. There's that, you know, it's going to be all flustered, I know, but, you know, we could have a waiting list for people because there's so many people that are willing to go that we can't accommodate them all. That's my dream. That's my wish. And that's my hope for this church. So, yeah, so I feel like calling is clear. Okay. So the last thing, the third thing that um, I want to share with you is that, you know, a lot of times I think, you know, we don't feel called, right, because we haven't seen really what's on the other side. We haven't feel called because we haven't really seen what's on the other side. And I think, you know, most of us that come back from mission trips, um, can tell you it's it's a little hard to describe all the things that we saw and experienced, you know. And um, you know, just like Josh's testimony, we we could try, we could write these things down, and you know, write down our testimonies and go up, come up here and talk to you. But you know, it's it's really hard. I mean, you know, Dequok posted how many pictures? Like hundred something pictures on 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 Facebook, and um, you know, we could put all the videos up. We can. And, you know, we can edit them and, you know, make it look really cool. But, you know, I, I'll tell you, I mean, it, it really doesn't speak to the true experience of actually being there. You know, I, I really can't express, express to you what it's like. 
You know, when when I was on the, uh, the that small wooden bridge, you saw you saw the video of that small wooden bridge with me and Goonie there, in, in the middle of the jungle. I mean, we're in the middle of nowhere in Ecuador, and you're seeing six people, right, dressed in white, singing, "I have decided to follow Jesus." I have. Decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Then one by one, as they're dipped into the water, and then they're born again. They're hugging and weeping and joy. You know, it's it, Luke fifteen seven. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Heaven rejoicing. I think that's what I saw. Heaven rejoicing one by one. It's like trying to describe to you, you know, um, let's say Super Bowl, right? Super Bowl. And it's, it's my favorite team. Maybe Washington, right? Went to the Super Bowl. And there are there are arch rivals, right? The Cowboys, Cowboys, they're in the Super Bowl, and you have front row seats. You have front row seats, and it's towards the end zone. It's the fourth quarter. It's the last ten seconds left in the game. Ten seconds, right? Washington's down by by five points. Right? Don't ask me how he got there, but they're down by five. They're down by five. And there's one more play. There's it's ten seconds left. One more play. One more play, and that's it. That's game over. The year is over, right? Win or lose, sink or swim, right? And then they hand the ball to the running back. That's the only play you guys would do, right, that you think about. All right. I guess you didn't see the Super Bowl this year. Um, but that's the only play you would do, right? And then they hand the ball to the running back, and he dies for the goal line, dies for the goal line, and he gets pummeled by the defense, right? Pummeled by the defense. Everyone's on top of him. You don't know. You don't know if he made it or not. You don't know. It's all the referees start taking everybody out, everybody out, everybody out. And in the end, you see the ball, and it's past the goal. Everybody goes crazy. Everybody goes wild. You know, won the game, won the Super Bowl, right? I could describe it to you. I just did, right? And you could watch it on TV and infinite ESPN loops, right, on, on YouTube, right? But to be an eyewitness, to actually be there, to see that, to witness it, isn't that a whole nother experience? Isn't that on a completely different level? Right? Isn't that why people pay thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars to go to the Super Bowl and watch that for themselves? And they wouldn't say anything other than, wow, you know, that was worth it. That was worth everything. The trip, the cost, the expense, the hotels, the food, everything. That was so worth it if you're in there. Right? Yeah. I mean, when we see Ananias, right, he, he's been told what, what's going to happen. He was still afraid, but he, he took that journey. He took that journey of faith. And when he put his hands on Saul, when he put his hands on Saul and spoke those words that were given to him, scale-like things popped off Saul's eye. Scale-like things just popped off. And then that blind man that was in front of him, he could see again. You know, he was the first witness to see that. And I think in missions, you know, we become living witnesses to testify of God's work. You know, just like in that football game, we're not really doing the work. You know, we might be the 12th man cheering them on and everything, you know. 
But God is the one in the driver's seat. God is the one who's doing, right? Acts 1, 8. But if you will receive power when the Holy, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. A witness that can give firsthand account to what happened when you saw the hand of God reach down and touch someone. This is what I could say that I experienced in Ecuador. You know, because there isn't, there was many uh, people there and witnesses, but what I witnessed, you know, was something really amazing. Because, you know, on that day when we did the baptism, the first baptism, there were a lot of people in Ecuador that really didn't want Gonzalo or DL to be part of that baptism. You know, there was many spiritual battles. And a lot of rain that came the night before, you know, there were two other rivers that, that we thought that we could do the baptism first, right? And there were supposed to be those baptism places. But because of the rains, they were too high and dangerous. We couldn't do them. And then after over an hour of looking and looking, right, with this third river that was finally picked, this third one that was finally picked, there was this one guy, one man that was being baptized. To him, he was just he was just weeping. He was standing there weeping and weeping. And it meant so much more to him. And then when 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 Carmen, our sister Carmen, went up to him and asked him how she could pray for him, he told her that just weeks before, just weeks before, his five year old son drowned in that river. That day, that day, God decided that this man was going to be baptized there. That he was going to be reborn into a new creation. That this tragic death of a little boy is not the end of the story. Because Tico's father, who was there, knows the pain of losing a son. Because God knows the pain of losing his one and only son. John eleven twenty five through 26. Jesus asked Martha a question. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do we believe this? Do you want to see, be a witness to a living miracle? Then come with us. Come with to Ecuador and see a house church in La Gragria. It's a really, it's a pretty big town. It's bigger than Lombaki, where we usually stay. It has, even has an airport, has, has a big modern hospital, and, you know, this fancy basketball court thing. I don't know. It was, it was, it was really nice. I mean, a lot nicer than things I've seen in Orlando. But... We go, and there's a small house, and there was probably a video on that that we see that we worshipped, right? There's, like, roosters and chickens running around. But this is where up to 50 people, up to 50 people come every week to worship God. 
And it's all started by one family, one family. The mother diagnosed with breast, uh, with, sorry, with terminal cancer, cancer. Son had a brain disease. The father, you know, he had some weird illness. No one could figure it out, like most dads, right? No one could figure it out. But one by one, Jesus cured them all. But you know what the greater miracle is? The greater miracle is that they were all saved in Jesus Christ. They all credited the Lord in saving them. And out of that thanksgiving, they started this house church. And now it's a hard time accommodating all the people that come. Can you see this? Can you see that this is biblical? You know, when Christ healed the sick and the lame, he didn't just do it to put on the magic show and say, well, you know, look how powerful I am. Jesus did it because so that they could believe in him, so that they could have eternal life in him. When the disciples were given that same power, it was also so that people could believe in Christ, right? That, that, is the greatest miracle of all. Can we all, can we all be witnesses for a greater glory? Can we all learn to trust and obey? For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. You know, because witnessing things, witnessing these things can spurn a greater faith, which in turn confirms our calling to Christ. Do you realize that many times, many times Jesus performs miracles. He says, go, your faith has healed you. Can we believe our trip is not a waste of time? Can we believe that it's not by accident? Can we believe that it's more of a journey to hold the miracles and the power of God? Ananias probably had no idea, no idea what's going to become of this man. Right? He, saw, he saw Saul to see again. He saw a blind man see again. But God's story is greater than that. Once Saul became Paul, a disciple of Christ, well, you know, you could read the rest. Paul's written about half the New Testament. So, you know, I could say that there were probably uh, two deaths, two deaths that influenced me um, on my first mission trip. Now, I've been asked plenty of times before, talked about for 12 years I've been asked, but usually due to one of many, many, many reasons, I didn't go. The first, the one, was of this young, young man, skinny, kind of nerdy, praise band kid, you know, <laughs> Seemed like just the average, confused high school, college kid. Not always sure what to do with his life. Typical struggle to please his parents or, you know, go after his passion in music. But the one thing, one thing that stood out to me was that he wanted to praise God. He wanted to pursue music to tell others of Christ. He was so convinced that God gave him a passion and calling for music 
not to be a rock star, not to be some world-renowned musician, but to glorify God in his death. God didn't fail him. In Tico's obedience into his calling, Jesus' promise is being realized even today. His testimony is being shared even today. His parents went to Ecuador. His parents started the Joshua Project, now the Joshua Foundation. Mr. and Mrs. Kim go twice a year to serve. Without these events, there would be no Gonzalo. There wouldn't be a Mr. Park. Mr. Park, who, you know, wouldn't use his talents, wouldn't be able to use his talents, right, to be this native Spanish speaker, to be this, this, this Don, right? He told me for years and years, you know, he questioned why his parents raised him up in Bolivia. You know, why, why did his dad made him go to the, the regular schools to learn Spanish and not the international school like all the other kids to learn English? He's like, I want to learn English, not Spanish. But all those years of regret, all those years of resentment, blown away, blown away for Christ because he was needed for such a time as this. Right? Because the faith of Tico, he was called. And if it wasn't for that, there wouldn't be people being baptized in that river. And Tico's death, it points me to another death, right? Death of a king, the son of the most powerful, who was already in paradise, the richest place known in all of creation. In an act of faith, in an ultimate act of obedience, he, gained, he came down to earth. He became homeless so that we could have a real home. He became poor so we become rich. He took upon our sins so that we could be clean, so that we could have a way to paradise. He is the only innocent man, the only innocent man to have ever lived on this earth. But he volunteered to be ridiculed, to be stripped naked, and to be beaten and scorned. But death, but death wasn't the only thing on the planet. R.C. Sproul says, if dying for our sins was the only purpose Jesus could have ascended, if dying for our sins was the only purpose for Jesus, he could have ascended on Good Friday, died, and rose again three days later. But he walked a broken road. He was broken. He was born as a helpless baby, right? Choosing humans to raise him. He lived and grew up on this earth for, for 30 years before he began his ministry. And in his three years, he sought out, he sought out his disciples. He went to the needy. He went to the sick. He went to the poor. He went to the ones who needed him the most. And he chose, he chose to his dying breath to save the last criminal that was hanging on the cross with him. The whole life, the whole life of Christ was missional. And if we, if we are to live like Christ and follow him, then missions is every plan of our lives. We were so precious to God 
He sacrificed his best, God's best for you and for me. God didn't say, when I have the time. God didn't say, when I have more money or that new job. God didn't say, when I get back from vacation. He didn't say, when those people clean up their acts. He came just at the right time. While we were still enemies. Still enemies. And rescued us. But it wasn't free. It wasn't painless. It came at the greatest cost for you and for me. It came at the greatest price. And he just gave it away. He gave us away a road to follow, a man to follow. It's okay. It's okay to have questions or doubts. But can we see missions as a calling, not just for some, not just for a few, but for all of us? Our great commission to love and to obey and to follow Christ. Let's pray. Father God, um, Lord, sometimes it's so hard to do simple things. Um, Sometimes it just sounds so simple, but our fears, our doubts, our hesitations, a lot of times we get in our own way. Let's just think for a minute. Let's just think for a minute about maybe, I don't know, maybe things have been on your mind and things you were thinking about, but you hesitated on. You know, you doubted. You say, I don't know if God really called me to this. I don't know if this is truly something that God is calling me to. Can we pray about that? Can we pray that it's not a fluke? It's not some accident. It's not some random act. It's God's calling. Not just for that other person or the the person that usually go or the same group. It's not for the young. It's not for a certain select group of people. But to be a disciple of Christ, to love Christ. It's a response. It's not that going on missions is going to give us salvation. It's not that going on missions, we're doing the great work. It's not that we have all these things to contribute to society. But it's out of faith. It's out of obedience. Because He loved us first, in response, we love Him in return. But to love Him is to obey Him. we all have a love of, of obedience? Can we learn to trust? Trust and obey. Can we think that this is our calling? We love you so that in response, in response, this is what we want to do. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we have. God bless us with what we have. 
Don't look around to the person next to you. Don't look around to your neighbors, to your other families and say, you know, they have more, they have less, they have. Think about what God has blessed you with. Think about God what has blessed you with, the opportunities that God has given you. And think about why, why has God blessed us with this much? take a few minutes just to to respond and to pray. Father, Lord, we know a lot of times, a lot of times we just, we have so many questions, more questions than answers, so many things that we could doubt. Did you really say this? Did you really call us to this? I think if we read, if we read our Bibles, the message couldn't be more clear. He called all of us, all of us to do this. He wants to send out all of us to go, to tell the nations, to tell all people groups the goodness of who He is. And He has come down. He came down on a rescue mission for everybody, everybody on this earth. Lord, we pray that this could burn in our hearts, that this could... Just just move us, Lord, into action in some way, in some way possible in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.